welcome to VB Engage episode 55. My name is Stuart Rogers. I'm with VentureBeat and I am with, as always, the author of Digital Sense, the wonderful man that is Travis Wright. Travis, how are you doing today? I am doing excellent. Thank you for that kind, wonderful introduction. It's a beautiful week. If you've noticed, if you pay attention to VB Engage, you will see that we did not have an episode last week. Why was that, Mr. Stuart Rogers? Well, I'm afraid to say, uh, but we finally had uh, the mother of all internet issues, so much so that it was just absolutely impossible for us to connect, which was a real shame because, you know, I happened to be at Pioneers Festival at the time, Pioneers 17, and uh, I was really itching to be able to sing Ah, Vienna at you. But no, I was denied that by the internet. So... Austrian internet, not that awesome? Or Austrian hotel internet? Or is it a country issue? (laughs) Generalization is the enemy. So let's just say that that one internet connection let us down on that one day. That one internet. I don't want to taint the entire hotel industry uh, (laughs) or all Austrians. That would be very unfair. Right on. So we had some big news this week, right? So we had the the big Apple developer conference, the WWDC, right? Yeah. Got a feeling that if you ever had a developer conference, it would be called the uh, TWWDC, right? Yes, the Travis Wainwright Developer Conference. <laughs> that works perfectly. Nicely done. So what were some of the key things that you noticed from the uh, from the Apple Developer Conference? There's a couple things that I saw that was pretty wild, but what, what, what caught your attention? Let's get to the uh, one last thing later and maybe just have a little bit of fun with that announcement. But the stuff that's going to impact marketers, I think, first of all, completely redesigned App Store. And, you know, obviously thinking about it from a marketing standpoint and the new tab that they've got there that they've called Today, which is going to deliver things like editorials and interviews and tips and tricks and all sorts of recommended apps and curated lists. People are going to have to get their head around this pretty quickly because obviously it completely changes the game as far as App Store optimization is concerned when you're pushing your apps in an uh, iOS App Store environment. So it's kind of interesting. The most popular apps get these really broad cards that um, are quite engaging. You know, the images look really cool. Lots of white space. Everyone's going to have to get used to that. And, and start thinking about how they're going to leverage that new App Store design. That could be really interesting. It, it, we'll have to look at the data, right, to see if there are apps that drop off the face of the earth because they just um, don't look that good under the new App Store. Yeah, it looks like it's going to become less of a search engine and more sort of magazine-ish is what it kind of looked like. But uh, I do think it's going to be challenging for maybe some of those uh, up-and-coming apps to, to gain discoverability, potentially. I've not upgraded to the beta yet, but uh, it should be interesting. We'll keep an eye on that. Other interesting stuff that popped in is so Apple Pay now is going to hit iMessage. That's something that can be interesting now, especially since some of these other messaging tools like WeChat, you can use payment stuff within those platforms. So they're going to be able to allow Apple to fully own that ecosystem. Now we're going to be able to easily send money to people through iMessage. So if you are an Apple user and use Apple Pay, that could become convenient for you. It's unclear to me how marketers are going to use that at the moment. As far as retail app teams are concerned, Apple Pay is going to work seamlessly within apps. And then basically it's just your fingerprint or your thumbprint and you can pay for stuff. And that's great. That means that uh, in-app purchases are going to be a lot easier. As far as the iMessage integration is concerned, you know, you'd think that maybe uh, Venmo and Square and PayPal and people like that are 
are looking at that with very interesting eyes wide open. They've been available for you know quite some time. Um, in fact, you know you can actually uh, use Venmo within iMessage, right? So it's kind of interesting. I mean, we say that you know Apple generally is is quite a closed shop, and they try to make everything as proprietary as possible. But what's been quite interesting about iMessage is it has allowed for payments through services like Venmo, and now they're bringing Apple Pay into this kind of you know competing <laughs> in an environment that they own it'll be interesting to see if that takes a really big foothold or if venmo can hold them off because they've been doing it for a longer time but of course the one thing right is i travis cannot get a venmo account because venmo is us only what i think might happen with apple pay is that you know there's a better chance that i'll be able to send payments to my friends in different countries using one of those devices, if I ever own one. Once they come in red and run Android, I'll buy one. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice. Speaking of overpriced technologies, Apple is going to uh, launch their first smart speaker, the HomePod. We're going into the one more thing now. Is that what we're doing? Is that what we're doing? We're going to build a one more thing now. One more the thing. HomePod. This is nothing to do with marketing. It's got nothing to do with engagement or you know whatever thing. But I mean, wait, we talk more. about smart speakers. We've talked about Google Home. We've talked about Amazon Echo. I did put this up on my jokey Twitter, but, uh, you know, at least I now know what Apple has done um, with all those unsold Mac Pro casings, uh, because to <laughs> me, it just looks like they're yeah. using, using those with a bit of mesh over the top of them. Yeah, I love it. Um, it, it. It looks to me to be less powerful and twice as expensive. So that's great. <laughs> it's kind of on par for uh, how Apple rolls. <laughs> there was a thing going on on Facebook and everyone was saying, oh, oh you know, what's... What do they think of the HomePod? And somebody posed a question and it was, you know, HomePod or Alexa or Home, you know. And my answer is very simple. I mean, why not just get an Amazon Echo and plug it into actually a really decent speaker? And right now, you can do that right now. You don't have to even wait till the end of the year because this doesn't even come out till the end of the year. And actually, so, the Amazon Echo, the one that I have, it's got a great speaker on it. I mean, it literally, if I'm playing it downstairs, I can hear it upstairs. It's it's not a shoddy speaker. But let's actually talk about what impacts marketing and advertising, right? Because I think the key thing from WWDC is that moving forward, Safari is going to block third-party ad trackers from following users around the web. Trackers are not going to be able to use browser behavior for ad targeting and that's a big shift for a lot of companies. And right a couple of weeks ago or last week or week before, Google announced the same thing that they're going to have a Chrome ad blocker coming in in 2018. Chrome is a um, really interesting story to tell because while Google has confirmed that Chrome ad blockers will be coming in early 2018, what they've also confirmed is that it's part of the coalition for better ads. And they're not just going to be blocking ads completely. They're just going to be blocking bad ads, right? So if you become part of the Coalition for Better Ads, if you actually produce um, or use advertising on your website that is compliant, you'll still get through, all right? It's not just completely arbitrary ad blocking. What they're trying to do and what they're saying they're doing from a, from a Chrome standpoint is to improve the experience for everybody, reduce the amount of ad-driven malware and other nasties, and you know keep the speed up, but not actually completely erode everybody's revenue opportunities because you know that's important because that's how we powered the internet and powered the content 
for the internet uh, for such a long time. And if we're going to find the next big thing in publishing or the next big thing you know, on the internet, we need to allow people to get advertising revenue. Otherwise, they're never going to be able to afford to have any staff or increase their business or you know, you know, do anything along those lines. Um, right, right. Are you familiar with the Brave browser? Brave yeah. is interesting, and they've actually released a, a new way of kind of like Bitcoin for content. You have your own little tokens, and whenever you like somebody's content, you send them some tokens, and those tokens are worth X amount, sort of a, a donation-based thing. So that's a principle that Brave is attempting with their browser. I don't mind using Brave for some things. It's not... I can't use it for everything just because it shuts off all JavaScript. It shuts off all these trackers. It shuts off everything, and it makes some sites very tough to surf. It literally loads your stuff about two times faster. It's very quick, but it eliminates a lot of functionalities on some websites, so that's a challenge. But you're right. This coalition for better ads, that's going to be something to keep an eye on because once we have that third-party coalition that determines which ads are goods and which ads are bad, I mean, are we going to be able to, to censor certain products? I wonder how that's going to work. I've not done a deep dive into that coalition yet, so not sure how that's going to all pan out. And it's worth noting that right now, um, as far as the Safari changes are concerned, they affect desktop only as far as I'm aware, right? So that latest update is, is confined to the desktop. It will likely move to mobile, but let's put this in perspective a little bit. Safari has around about a 15% market share of the desktop browser market, whereas Chrome is close to 60%, and that's according to W3C data. So how big is the impact of this going to be? It's desktop only, and it's 15% market share, right, in terms of desktop browser market. And we know, Travis, from all of our data and everything that we've discussed over the months of, of doing VP Engage, that mobile web browsing is really taking over. And it's kind of interesting to see where this, this ad blocking is actually happening. It's kind of fun, but Jeff Hayson, mobile strategist at uh, Possible Mobile, was talking to the drum. And uh, he said that, you know, it's logical to believe that given the choice, some mobile users will elect to separate themselves from brand messages. The numbers in the US at least say that smartphone owners have yet to make that decision. In fact, despite the availability of multiple enabling sources, 94% of mobile ad blocking happens in Asia Pacific. It seems that US consumers don't really care that much. So I don't know how much impact it's actually going to have on the consumers. It's probably going to have more impact on publishers. And that's a worry for the same reasons I said before. You know, we need to make sure that we provide really good content to people on the internet. And in order to do that, we've got to pay people to produce that content. And if ad revenue is, is completely taken away, that is a bit of an issue. They're attempting to combat the trend that we've been seeing over the last few years of more people installing third-party ad blockers on their own. So they're trying to have some accountability to make advertising better. That way, more people aren't apt to just block all ads everywhere, right? So that's, that would seem to be the trend there. All right. So, hey, we have a competition going on here. What's the update on that? It's been really quite something. We were on that amazing giveaway. We had well over 1,400 entries. And we used the randomizer because apparently a brand tin doesn't work anymore. Then we checked that winner had actually done what they'd said they'd done to enter the competition. And guess what? They hadn't. 
So we had to choose another one and another one and another one. And, and what we got to was a winner who had actually done what they'd said. They'd entered competition properly. They followed the terms and conditions, which is great. So we told them that they'd won, and but we needed them to get back in touch and let us know that uh, we can announce their name and all this good stuff. And, and guess what, Travis? They didn't get back to us. They didn't right. get back so to us. So we have another winner, and they yes. haven't gotten back to us. <laughs> well, to be fair to the second winner... We only just got in touch with them like literally 10 minutes before we uh, started recording this episode. So we're going to delay the announcement of the winner until we not only get a winner that actually is alive and real and, and not a bot. One that gets back in touch with us and says, yes, please announce me as the winner. And then we will send them their awesome Huawei MediaPad M3. We're looking forward to announcing that. It's yeah. uh, really weird, but it's taken a couple of weeks. Apparently, that's the 21st century that we live in. Right. Um, well, speaking of hey, winners, we should probably get to our interview with another winner. We should do that. <laughs> another winner. Oh, no, I'm really looking forward to this. Um, you know, last week we had uh, Taylor Freeman, and that was fantastic. I really enjoyed that. And, of course, that was on the back of that uh, tour of, of Upload LA three weeks before it opened, which was really, really cool. And now this week we have the one, the only, T.J. Leonard. Uh, should we get into it? Let's go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we have a great treat for us today. Our next guest, we've actually had on a, on a couple webinars here at Adventure Beat, and so we wanted to, to bring him on to talk about some of the things that's going on in AI and marketing. And today we have with us the Chief Executive Officer of Video Blocks, T.J. Leonard. Welcome to the show, <laughs> T.J. How are you doing right. today? I am excellent, Travis. Thanks very much. Good to see you and Stuart. Yeah, it's fantastic to uh, actually see you. I mean, the listeners probably know this by now, but we uh, we do these interviews over Skype, so we can actually see you, which is very different to the webinars where uh, I don't get to see you. I just get to see a, a flat two-dimensional avatar on a PowerPoint slide. Um, yeah. So this is a much, much better experience for me. Still not seeing you in true 3D. Uh, but I can see that you've got some depth. I already knew you had depth because of all the uh, great knowledge bombs you dropped on the webinars, but uh, I can actually see some depth now, which is cool. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, and uh, it may not be good radio, but it is beautiful to see both of you gentlemen on the other side of the screen. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm sure that's not true, but it's very kind of you to say that. <laughs> uh, let's dive into it. AI, it's something we've been talking a lot about in, in 2017. We have picked it up almost every single week, and... Of course, you know, one of the areas that we see it affecting our world is, is in what it's doing in marketing. What's your take on it? What have you seen? And uh, what do you think is, is really important coming up in, uh, in the next few months? Yeah, no, it's one of those things that started off as more of a concept that was interesting. And we got into it first around using it for automation. But then you very quickly realize that through the entire marketing funnel, there are really useful applications of it. So from customer acquisition to customer retention all the way to having some fun with our employees, we've really found a place for it in just about every place that we do business here at VideoBox. I'm quite intrigued about the, uh, the employee stuff. Yeah, no, like so many businesses now, we are uh, heavy Slack users and we've got a little bot that's called Qbot who does lots of really useful things for us like test and deploy code and you know, kind of along the way, I think it started at a hackathon we had. Uh, we taught Hubot how to order groceries. We have Peapod that shows up every week. So you can like order coffee and snacks and everything. Kind of one thing led to another. We found ourselves using Hubot for more and more of this kind of AI fun. Uh, we actually ended up spinning it off. It's now its own separate bot 
Fubot. So Hubot for the serious stuff, Fubot for the fun. And Fubot can do everything from, of course, order groceries to find you a GIF, a meme. We've got kind of a, a, a virtual quote wall that Fubot can pull embarrassing quotes from coworkers. And it even keeps track of our ping pong rankings internally, which is perhaps Fubot's most serious task. And those ping pong analytics are so important for, Critical. The, for the camaraderie in, in the office for sure. So what are some things that's going on that you have found that have helped you, you know, maybe engage and acquire new customers because you have a unique sure. product? What are some things that are working for you? We have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to our show, a lot of people who are you know, maybe even working on apps and they're working on AI, they're working on a lot of stuff. They're trying to grow and acquire new customers. So what are some of the things that, that you find that are, that are working over there at Videoblocks? As you alluded to, Travis, we're a recurring revenue business for a subscription. Uh, so, you know, acquisition super important to us, but uh, so is retention. On the customer acquisition side, you know, we've found that the best way to find good new customers is to look at our existing customers for clues. What we've done now, largely through machine learning and automation, is you know, we'll predict very early in a new customer's tenure whether they're going to be a good customer for us in the long run or whether they're not going to be a good customer for us. And you know, for those good customers, uh, what we do is we sort of segment them out using an algorithm and a pixel on sites like Facebook. Uh, we basically have this auto-refreshing segment of good customers that, that we then use to do lookalike modeling and go find more good customers. So it's really cool. And that was sort of like V1 of AI in a lot of ways was just automating these really simple manual tasks. And that's sort of where it started for us. Take these segments that we were manually pulling and now instead use some predictive analytics to now basically refresh and publish these segments in real time so that our team can focus on things you know, like doing analysis or upsells and cross-sells and other things like that that, of course, are super useful. That's great. How, how are you building those lookalike audiences? Are you, are you utilizing like Facebook or different social media sites to identify those? Or, or how exactly are you, are you building those lookalikes? Yeah, we do a little bit of both. So where we can lean on someone like Facebook, we do, um, because their data set is much larger than our individual data set. Um, but then in other instances, uh, we can't, and especially on uh, kind of the retention side of the house. So we're a stock media business, so content is very important to us. And because of our subscription model, we really want to know how a particular piece of content influences someone's retention behavior. So that's an area where we can't really lean on a third party. So we use cluster analysis of sorts. But what we do is we say, hey, Travis, you really love downloading this particular type of content Lots of cats, right? People who love, love cat. It, yeah, huge cat fan. People who love 4K cuddly cats, we know what other customers in our database who like the same sorts of things, what they're into. So we'll use that in a couple of different ways. One is when you come back to our site the next time, uh, we'll have a set of recommendations for you um, that's based on your initial behavior. We'll also go look at things, you know, again, so if you love cuddly cats, but you haven't downloaded football to the groin videos. Um, but we see that that, that uh, other customers who also like cats, uh, like those categories, will send push notifications and things like that to say, hey, you know, other customers like you also are into this particular type of content. Why don't you check it out? And then the last thing we'll do is we'll, very similarly looking at these clusters, we'll actually go out and acquire new content, able to predict uh, how that'll influence existing customers' renewal behavior. 
So we do a little bit of both. There's no reason to reinvent the wheel. People like Facebook do great work, uh, but there are also limitations to how far you can take it with a third party. So um, especially for the stuff that's proprietary and for us that's content, we end up building a lot of those lookalike audiences ourselves. It's an interesting thing. I mean, we've been saying for uh, the last few months that yeah, artificial intelligence is going to really take away these, these high-waste, menial tasks and allow marketers to maybe get back to being marketers and, and being dynamic and being all about the, the right brain stuff instead of all of this process-heavy stuff. And, uh, you know, at the time of, of, of recording this, we've just seen Scott Brinker's latest marketing technology universe come out. It's now the, the, the MarTech 5000. It's grown up from uh, hugely, really, from the sort of 112, I think it was, in the original MarTech universe. Do you think that as AI gets into the marketing technology space, we're actually going to start for once seeing that list of companies shrink? Because mm-hmm. you know, if we've got AI technologies that are doing all these high-waste menial tasks, and if marketers can stop being technologists and get back to being marketers, maybe we can pair back on some of this marketing technology in the first place. That's a really interesting point. And I think in a lot of ways, we've been talking about consolidation for a long time, and it just hasn't quite started to take off. But you would have to think that's coming. And, you know, I know not to get too far on the Wayback Machine, but that's what sort of started all of this uh, human creativity way back when is when food production, right? You were able to do that. And a certain group of people were able to take care of that, which freed people up from to think and create art and create alphabets because their day-to-day wasn't tied up with the menial work of hunting and gathering. And and so I, I, in a lot of ways, yes, I think that's the, the ideal vision here, right? Is that as marketers, instead of running a SQL query and pulling out 10,000 names and plugging that into a Facebook segment and adding four pieces of creative and pressing a button, right? You're able to spend that time either uh, doing analysis and thinking about uh, new ways to reach your customers or, again, use that right brain where you're not just thinking about segmentation, but you're thinking about messaging and positioning and, right, getting back to some of those old school qualitative marketing skills that, you know, have gotten buried under a deluge of, again, this more manual labor and and data over the last decade plus. That's so true. And, you know, after we hunted, hunted and gathered, and then, okay, well, then we evolved a little bit. That, that was like even back in the 1800s, early 1900s, 90% of the population, their primary livelihood was agriculture. So the Industrial Revolution, it changed everything. But, and guess what? The world still went on. And so yep. things are going to evolve. That always happens. So let's talk about this real quick because video is truly one of the more engaging uh, elements of, of business, right? We're very visual species. Yep. How are you seeing you know different companies and maybe even how are you guys using video uh, in your own business to help drive customers down the funnel in your business? And how are you yeah, seeing no, others doing that, right? We call it dog fooding here internally, but all of our uh, marketing material uses our own library as the primary source. So um, we're always tinkering with new ways to do it. And I you know I think we've seen a few really interesting trends of late. One is, which is almost unbelievable to think about, but the duration of video for marketing specifically feels like it's getting shorter and shorter. For that reason, people are really focusing on the first two seconds because if marketing is all about storytelling, you know, typically you know marketers want to get beginning, middle, and end, and, and so many customers are abandoning at the beginning 
um, that you see people really focusing all of their storytelling into those first couple of seconds. You know, I think Geico has is oft cited for someone who's done a good job at really focusing in on that sort of that initial impression, uh, being successful even in uber short form uh, video. So that's definitely a, a big trend that we're seeing. Uh, another one is, which I think is linked to the same thing of really working hard to capture people's initial attention is just this real ethereal, surreal aesthetic where people are almost going to a dreamlike place to pull someone in, which I think in a lot of ways is the is the countermeasure to all of this, you know, the selfies uh, and the first person perspective that's really dominated social feeds over the last couple of years. Little trends like that popping up here and there, but I, you know, I think really in a lot of ways, it's you're just trying to find something that works in that moment to find a scene to exploit it for as long as you can, um, and then it seems like people's interests have shifted in a new direction. So it is, it really is, have a big set of options and never stop tinkering. Um, and you know, if you find something that's working for you, keep pushing because it won't work forever. That's awesome, and that's a that's a perfect way to end our interview today. I mean, we'd love to talk to you for ages and ages, and I'm sure we could, but unfortunately, we always have a time limit here on BP Engage. Um, TJ, it's been absolutely fantastic having you on. Thank you so very, very much. My pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you. Absolutely, yeah. And if, you, and if you'd like to you know, talk with us more, go ahead and just send us a video. Yeah, there we go. I'll keep it nice and <laughs> short and interesting up front. That's awesome. How can people find you and connect with you online, TJ? I am on Twitter at TJ underscore Leonard. Um, and of course, you can always find me through Video Blocks, which is at Video Blocks, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, etc. So I uh, would love to hear from you. I would love to chat about AI, marketing, content, all of the above. Well, thanks again for jumping on. We really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you, guys. Have a good one. All right. Thank you so much to TJ Leonard for jumping on the show with us today. That was excellent stuff. I really appreciate that. Video Blocks is where he is with. And if you missed last week's episode, uh, we had Taylor Freeman with us. And Taylor Freeman is the uh, the CEO founder of Upload and the Upload Collective and UploadVR.com. Great stuff. Next week, we have a phenomenal guest with us, David Berkowitz. And he is an amazing digital marketing pioneer. He's been in this space for a long time. He's a great thought leader. Uh, he's been at some amazing, amazing companies. And he is now at Sysimos as their CMO. And we will be talking to him next week. So, as always, this is episode 55 for Travis Wright. Goodbye. And for Stuart Rogers, it's Adios. We'll see you guys next week.